Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Man, I I appreciate their passion. Um, I share their passion. We all do. Um, man, we love our fans, man. They, they inspire us. Uh, they challenge us. Um, it's an awesome relationship. Man, we don't run from challenges. We run to challenges. Um, this is the sport entertainment business. It is our job to win and thus entertain them. And so, you know, we don't begrudge them for that. Um, we, 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 wanna, we want them to be fat and sassy and spoiled. It is our job. Mike Tomlin gets it. That's the Steelers coach on Tuesday, the morning after the win over the Browns. It is an entertainment business. You have to inspire people to devote their money, their time, and their emotion to you. And you don't get to pick and choose which emotions they elect to express. You make them happy, the emotion is good. You keep them from being happy, the emotion is not good. When you go to a sporting event. First of all, it isn't cheap. Second of all, you put all eggs in the basket of, I hope I'm going to be happy when I walk out of here. And it makes the money that you spend for everything. Ticket, personal seat license, if you have season tickets at a stadium that uses that fiction to get more money out of your pocket, Overpriced beer, unless you're in Atlanta. Overpriced food, unless you're in Atlanta. Although maybe other cities have copied that. I don't know. Parking, just hassle, especially a night game. Get home late. Got to work the night. Like, it, if you win, it's okay. If you lose, all that, it just makes you miserable. And one of the things making Steelers fans miserable is the performance of the offense. And I witnessed it. I mean, It's one thing to watch a game on TV when you're at the game and you can watch everything and take in everything and hear everything and see everything. That's Steelers offense. Until they remembered that George Pickens is on the team, like I think they forgot 
for a quarter and a half that George Pickens is on the team because they, they're not doing anything to take him away. It's not that he's double covered and the rest of the offense is just wide open. The offense is sluggish. It has no rhythm. It has no flow until they had the 71-yard catch and run by George Pickens for a touchdown and then started throwing him the ball more regularly. I mean, Kenny Pickett, the second-year quarterback, didn't even look his way until maybe that 71-yard play. There may have been one play before that where he at least looked his way. I, it, I, I don't get what this offense is supposed to be. And I don't believe that Matt Canada has an identity for the Steelers offense. What is their identity, Shireen? I don't know. They had 70 yards of total offense before that 71-yard play. So they doubled it uh, with that one play. And he is their weapon. I think, you know, Najee Harris was supposed to be that workhorse running back and again a reason not to draft running backs in the first round I mean they can't get anything established with their ground game 21 carries for 55 yards uh, they had they had no red zone plays uh, you know I, I thought when I watched this team in the preseason they the first team offense had five preseason possessions they scored five touchdowns uh, they were just really really good in those five games first two regular season games they have one touchdown in each of those games. So, you know, I don't know where this offense is, where it's going, 9.5 points they're averaging. In, this is Canada's third year, Mike, with this offense. They failed to score 20 points in 23 of 37 games. They just are not very good. And that defense is so good that it's carrying them. Two touchdowns defensively on Monday night, but they can't keep doing that. They can keep them in games, but eventually the offense – has got to start scoring some points if this is going to be a playoff team. And you're right. The one guy you can get to do that is George Pickens. And when you have him in one-on-one situations, you've got to throw the ball up to him and give him chances in 50-50, on 50-50 balls because more than 50% of the time, I guarantee you, George Pickens is coming down with the ball if you put it anywhere in his vicinity. He's that good. Give him some chances. I don't want to compare George Pickens prematurely to Randy Moss. He doesn't have that same run by you and completely pull a defense 60 yards down the field and catch anything that comes his way deep. But he does catch anything that comes his way. So I don't care if he's not 4-2 speed running by everybody. He's still pretty damn good. He's special. He's one of the most physically gifted and talented receivers in the sport today and you're not getting him the ball on a regular basis, you're not designing plays, whether it's jet sweeps, whether it's bubble screens, they're throwing the bubble screens, the guys who get swallowed up right away. Get the ball to George Pickens, even if it means you're going to have to pay him a lot of money. See, I, I'm going to choose my words carefully here because I don't want to accuse the Steelers of anything that would fall into the tinfoil hat Aspect. I mentioned earlier the firewall that the NFL doesn't have between football purity and business interests. I just can't help but wonder, after studying this team very carefully over the last 50 years, living in and around Pittsburgh my entire life, right now I'm sitting 100 miles away. I could get there. I got home last night. I was sitting in, or Monday night, sitting in gridlock traffic at 12.15 and somehow walked through the door at 2 a.m. I mean, we are not that far away from Pittsburgh. And I pay very close attention to the Steelers. Art Rooney II the president of the team, owner of the team, 
family's owned the team since its inception. I think that he is very involved in a lot of stuff. And he does it very discreetly. He's a very quiet, understated presence. I think he's involved in a lot of things. And I think Matt Kent, I think like, you know, when Todd Haley was forced on to Mike Tomlin, I don't think that was a Tomlin call. I think that was a or Art Rooney call, even though Art Rooney's never going to say, even if it goes well. It's not like, well, I'm just keeping my head low and my mouth shut because if this blows up, I don't want the blame. He doesn't take the credit. He doesn't get the blame. It's Steelers football, Steelers organization. There's no one, to their credit, who is jockeying to take the, the, the spotlight. They all work together. I just, is there a business consideration that is in the mix here that if we use George Pickens to his full and complete capability. If we build the offense around this notion of, if you're going to single cover him, we're going to throw it to him every time. We're going to design plays to get the ball in his hands. We're going to make you fear him. We're going to make defensive coordinators stay up at night worrying about how they're going to stop George Pickens. And they're going to adjust their defense to do so, and the rest of our offense is going to work like gangbusters. Is there? I don't know. I'm not answering the question. I'm just raising it. Is there a hesitation to fully embrace George Pickens because they know, if they do, that after the 2024 season ends, his third in the NFL, knocking on the door, give me money, give me money, give me a lot of money. Not just, you know, good money, give me great money. And if Kenny... Pickett works out at the quarterback position. You got two guys on offense. You got to pay a lot of money. Two, you're paying a lot of money to TJ Watt. And to their credit, the Steelers spend. You know, yeah. it's been since the 2011 CBA. You know, it used to be like half the league was in salary cap purgatory. We used to hear that term all the time. Oh, this year uh, they're in salary cap purgatory. They can't really do anything. The Steelers and the Cowboys are consistently and had consistently been the two teams that are like always waving the magic wand to create cap space because they are. They're doing everything they can to put a great team on the field. I feel like maybe they don't want to create in George Pickens a player who is so great that it throws their entire salary cap structure out of whack. I don't know. It's just I just thought of it right now because there's got to be a reason for it because why wouldn't you do it? I'm at the game thinking, why aren't you throwing? Why Why is this guy not the centerpiece of your offense? That makes no sense to me, Shereen. Well, and I think you texted that at one point while you were at the game. Is Has George Pickens even been looked at so far in this game? Because he hadn't been. They weren't even, like you said, they weren't even looking his way. So you've got to get the ball to him. He's your best weapon. He maybe your only weapon on offense, but somehow, some way, if you want to win and you want to win this year. And I do think they have because of their defense. I think they have a chance to go to the playoffs, but in order to do that, you've got to use George Pickens. And if you don't use George Pickens to me, you have no chance because I just don't think that offense can consistently move the ball with a running game. I just I don't see it. A bad offensive line. They haven't addressed that offensive line. It's just not very good. He's the guy. He's the guy. If you want to go to the playoffs, he's the guy. I've been a Mike Tomlin fan and advocate since before he 100%. got the job with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2007. He is very well respected around the league 
for his ability to speak to the better angels of players, to get them to perform at a high level, to get them to set aside the factors that would bring them down and cause them not to perform at a high level. I always say he gets more out of his players than the the sum of the parts, whatever that cliche is. He gets them all to play better together than you would individually expect them to do. With this caveat, he is the one who is allowing this state of affairs where George Pickens is ignored, where George Pickens isn't featured, where George Pickens isn't getting 12 touches per game or more. And Najee Harris, great guy, very engaging, great story. Najee Harris lacks the high-end burst to be one of the top running backs in the NFL. He can't beat the defender to the edge. They keep running to the edge. He he was doing the Le'Veon Bell dance around the hole instead of run right through it at one point on Monday night. He had two great runs back-to-back, but you know what? There's 5, 10, 15 running backs who, if they had that same opportunity, they're gaining a lot more yards than Najee Harris did. So you've got a weapon in George Pickens that is capable of supercharging the offense. And once they react to George Pickens and defend George Pickens the way they'll need to if you're using him the way that you should, rest of the offense opens up. I, whether it's Matt Canada who's making that call, Mike Tomlin, Art Rooney, Omar Khan, somebody else, I don't know. They like to, as I said earlier, have all their decisions collaborative, collective. Nobody gets credit. Everybody gets blame. Everybody shares in the blame. Well, everybody shares in the blame that they've got this great weapon and they're not using them. And to his credit, to his credit, I watched him coming off the sidelines or to the sidelines from the field multiple times. He's not frustrated. He's not displaying the kinds of stuff we've seen from other receivers. Now, he said in that great profile – that Kevin Clark of the Ringer did. One of the reasons he likes to knock defensive backs on their ass when he's blocking is that's how he takes out his frustration. He doesn't get the ball on every play because if I was the coach, I'd give me the ball on every play. So at some point, and I'm not trying to, I'm not, maybe I am. I don't know. I just know what I see. And I see a freaking great football player who isn't being utilized to his full capacity. Yeah, there's no question, Mike. And and you, Kenny Pickett, I think the jury's still out on what kind of quarterback he's going to be. But he's got to make better decisions about getting the ball to uh, George a lot more than what he's doing right now because he's just not getting it there. And, and if they're going to keep averaging nine points a game – they're not going to win very many games. He's the one guy that can get them. This is a team that historically has been built around their defense and their running game. They don't have that running game. They do have the defense. They don't have the running game. So who's the best player on the offense? It's George Pickens. If you want to win, who do you go to? You go to George Pickens. So that's it. That, that's what they have to do if they want to have a chance to go to the postseason. I can't tell you how many times on Monday night I'm I'm what you see the whole field and Pickens is split left and he's got one guy on him and yeah. the safety isn't coming over that way. It's like this is just wasted. Wasted talent, wasted opportunity. And there's gotta be a reason for it. 
There's got to be a reason for it. And I refuse to say that when it relates to the Steelers, the reason is incompetence because they have shown over the past 50 years they are not incompetent. I don't get it. I'd love to know the reason for it. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll find out. Or maybe they'll just start using him the way that they should and and have better offensive performances than my favorite stat of the week. They entered the fourth quarter down 22 to 19. They had negative seven yards of offense and won the game. Only with the Steelers defense can you pull that off. But you're not... You're not going to win a championship with that. Shereen, what that does, what that does, it keeps you in every game. You're going to win maybe one or two more than you lose. You're going to get to the playoffs, but you're eventually going to come up against a team with a quarterback that you're not going to be able to keep pace with. Like, and you know, I deluded myself into thinking they could upset the Chiefs in the wild card round a couple of years ago when they barely got in. And they were up 7 nothing thanks to a defensive touchdown. And then the dam broke. And I think the final score was 82 to 7. Not quite that bad, but it felt that way. So you just can't, you're never going to compete for a Super Bowl in that conference if you're not getting a hell of a lot more out of your offense than they got on Monday night. Yeah, I, you, I go back to the Ravens when they won the Super Bowl. That defense obviously was elite, one of the greatest defenses probably in NFL history, we can argue over who the greatest was, but I think they're in the conversation. And they won with Trent Dilfer at quarterback. But guess what? Trent Dilfer made plays in the postseason that put them over the top. It wasn't just the defense in the postseason. So you have to have a quarterback who's going to make some plays for you, especially in the postseason. Maybe you can get away with it if you have a pretty good running game, and this team doesn't have a good running game. But if you do have a good running game, you can get away with that in the regular season and get you the postseason. But eventually, your quarterback's going to have to make some plays if you're going to go win a Super Bowl. And that's what Trent Dilfer did that year. And if they've got a chance to to get to the postseason, I don't even think because they don't have the running game, they're not going to get to the postseason just with that defense. There's no running game there to kind of carry them. They've got to make plays on offense, and it's got to be the quarterback, and it's got to be getting the ball to George Pickens. Balance is the key. The most balanced teams are going to be the most successful. And if you're going to be out of balance, it's better to have a great offense and a subpar defense because the game continues to evolve toward offense, 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 and it's a lot different now than it was in 2000 for the Ravens. I don't think a 2000 Ravens-style defense without a better quarterback does what they did 23 years ago in today's game. You need that offense. You need that quarterback. And that leads us to the Dallas Cowboys. With Kellen Moore out as the offensive coordinator, Mike McCarthy inheriting the play-calling duties, so far so good in the assessment of the guy who writes the checks. Here's Jerry Jones on how his head coach, Mike McCarthy, is performing this season as the guy calling the plays on offense. can't tell you how proud I am of him and uh, the job he's doing. He's, uh, as I've said many times, I've never seen anybody be as busy as he's had to be uh, during the off season and during training camp, trying to uh, be the uh, and being the head coach as well as uh, revamping to some degree what we're doing offensively and uh, putting nuances in that uh, are part of what he is. And uh, it just felt so good for him to have the success he had out there the other night as the play caller and as head coach. Hey, everything's great for the Cowboys right now. It's only two games in, but as we'll 
discuss in the next segment. It's going very well. 40 to nothing, 30 to 10 against the two New York teams, two teams that came into the season with a lot of buzz about what they could do. The Cowboys have smacked them down and uh, I think the Cardinals are on the schedule this week. Boy, would it be something if the Cardinals beat the Cowboys? I don't think it's going to happen. But but isn't it Cowboys Cardinals this week? I think it is. Shereen, you it would is. know. Yeah, you got the is. Cowboys jersey yeah. hanging behind it's Cowboys you. Cowboys Cardinals. Okay. Um, I don't know why I doubted myself. I've already looked at the schedule. I tend to remember who the upcoming games are. But it is working so far. Now, whether it sustains, we'll see. You know, there's always going to be some moment of adversity. There's always going to be something. You're going to have highs and lows, now, especially with a 17-game season. It's going to be very hard to go wire to wire great. But, but I was skeptical. I'm skeptical about the Cowboys because with each passing year removed from their last NFC championship game appearance in 1995, I just feel like it's a lot of talk. It's a lot of bluster. It's a lot of hype. And then when it's time to deliver, something goes sideways. The past couple of years, it's been in the playoffs when it goes sideways, which is a good place for it to go sideways. At least you got to the playoffs. But I feel that urgency, that desire, that passion, finally, it looks like they got the team. You know, in my mind, it was Eagles 49ers are the top teams in the NFC entering the season. After two weeks now, Eagles maybe, you know, maybe it's going to be not quite as easy for them, but it sure feels like the Cowboys are ready to go toe-to-toe with anyone, including the 49ers, and I think we're 18 days away from a Cowboys 49ers game on Sunday Night Football. Well, I think they've looked better than the Eagles so far, Mike. And I know it's only two games in, it's early and all that sort of stuff. But you mentioned Micah Parsons for MVP possibility, the way he's playing through two games. I'll mention Mike McCarthy as coach of the year possibility. If you had to vote on it after two games, they've only done what five teams in NFL history have done to score 70 points in their first two games and give up 10 or less points in their first two games. They've been outstanding all the way around. There's going to be adversity, and they've also had luck on their side, and maybe they'll have some of that luck, and, and you need some of that luck to win a Super Bowl. You need injury luck. So far, they've had Tyler Smith out, starting left guard, former first-round pick, but they have so much depth in the offensive line, they really, frankly, haven't missed him, and he's going to come back. So they'll get him back. They've also had a little bit of luck on the field, Mike. Sauce Gardner... Dak Prescott threw that pass. No interceptions, consecutive games. First time that's happened since the final four games of 2021. Big deal. Led the league last year with 15 interceptions. But he threw that ball right to Sauce Gardner for what should have been a pick six. 99 times out of 100 times, Sauce Gardner's going to take that ball, catch it, and run to the end zone. That score would have been 14-10 Jets. I still think the Cowboys win that game. But what if the final score of that game was, say, 23-13, 23-14, whatever it was, 23-17, somewhere in that range? I think we look probably at the Cowboys a little bit differently if that game's closer and we say, wow, you know, Dak threw an interception now, and that was a pretty close game against a, a team that didn't have Aaron Rodgers. But they've had that luck so far, and if you get that on-field luck and you get that injury luck, this is a team that does have a chance to go win a Super Bowl. And get used to seeing a lot of the Cowboys this year. As we do in most years, I'm peeking ahead on their schedule. There are only two games set to begin at 1 o'clock Eastern. Week 8 at home against the Rams, and then the Sunday before Thanksgiving, they go to Carolina. Every other game is either 425 Eastern or primetime or the big 
Thanksgiving Day game when they host the Commanders. So we're going to see a lot of Cowboys, and they deliver. That game against the Jets was a massive rating for CBS. They're going to generate big ratings. It was a big rating in the blowout win over the Giants. It was still a huge rating because all those Cowboys fans, happy to watch their team kick the you-know-what out of an NFC East rival. So I got a feeling they're going to be kicking the you-know-what out of plenty of teams this year. Which leads us to our next segment, Power Rankings. You might not be having to guess more than once as to who the number one team is based upon the way we're speaking about America's team. America's team, once again, will discuss the week three Power Rankings when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Play action fake. He's back. There's Alex. And the ball is out of this Stripped by Highsmith, and his bookend buddy Watt scooped and scored. Mahomes waiting. Now a late blitzer coming in. Mahomes, he'll launch it down the field. Wide open, caught. Sky Moore 40, Sky Moore 30. One man to beat. 15-yard line. Tackle down at the Jacksonville 12-yard line. Happy birthday, Patrick Mahomes. You're giving us the presents. Russell in the pocket now bounces around. Sets and throws the ball up in the air. It's going to be short. The ball deflected. The ball deflected and caught. Touchdown, Denver Brandon Johnson. Oh, my word. 50 yards. Good Guga Muga. He right in the backfield with Russ. Snap. Play action. Steps up, throws towards the end zone, towards Cortland Sutton. Incomplete. Broken up by Benjamin St. Juice. No flags. Game over. Washington wins 35-33. <laughs> no flag, but there should have won. Good Guga Muga to that. Time for the PFT Power Rankings. Presented by Toyota. No PFT sticker over that logo. Thank you very much, Toyota. We try to deliver to you some of the best power rankings around. And I couldn't resist it, Shireen. Look, I've always had kind of a college football poll approach where if you're number one and you keep winning, you stay number one until you lose. 
And the 49ers, I mean, a seven-point win over the Rams. And the Dolphins, a seven-point win, right, over the Patriots, right? Wasn't they fine. Eagles, six-point win over the Vikings. Like, none of them should have dropped, but the Cowboys are the best team right now. Like, I'm not going to respect this outdated or outdated, easy for him to say, notion of hierarchy and propriety and, you know, they didn't lose. You can't drop them. The Cowboys are the best team right now. I think we can admit that. I don't think you would disagree with that, as evidenced by the Roger Staubach jersey hanging behind you. Am I wrong to think the Cowboys are the best team right now? No, and it's been a long time since you could say that. You know, since 1995, which is the last time they went to the championship game, really there's been only three seasons when I would say they were the best team in the NFL or could be considered that. 2007, they were 13-3. and 2014, they were 12-4. and four. In 2016, they were 13-3. and three. And, of course, all three of those seasons ended in disappointment in the playoffs. Still haven't been to an NFC championship game since 1995. But after two games this year... Absolutely. I think you're playing the best football in the NFL. Can they sustain that? You're going to have injuries, Mike. Where are those injuries going to come? What position are those injuries going to come? If it's Micah Parsons, if it's Dak Prescott, uh, there are a couple guys they cannot afford to lose. But if they don't lose those big-name guys who make a difference on their team, this is a team that's going to have a chance in the postseason. They'll have to end that history of futility in the postseason, but they'll have a chance. Now, if they lose Micah Parsons, they have a major problem. Sims and I were talking about him as an MVP candidate, not Defensive Player of the Year, but potential MVP candidate given how dominant he's been so far. But, hey, if Dak Prescott gets injured, I heard Stephen Jones say it himself last week, that's why they got Trey Lance, got Trey Lance, got Trey Lance in the event that you lose Dak Prescott. Not not as leverage against this massive nearly $69 million, or not nearly $60 million cap number next year. Not quite $69, $60 million for Dak Prescott next year. Uh, regardless. Okay, so Cowboys up to number one. Seahawks back in the top ten after the overtime win over the Lions. And the Bengals are all the way down to number 21 because, look, until the Bengals prove it, they're, they've been bad. They've looked bad. They've looked inept. Whether it's the Joe Burrow injury, whether the offense is too predictable, whatever the case may be, The Bengals fall off this first screen, which will surprise a lot of people if we had told them that two weeks ago. But if you watch the first two games, losses to the Browns and the Ravens, you understand why. Now, and that leads to the first question that we have today. We put out, and and we want to make sure we answer as many as we can, a call for questions on Twitter last night. And a lot of people had questions. Some had rude comments. What a shock. Rude comments directed to other people, a feature of Twitter since the inception of the platform. Sports BV... BP asks this question. Honestly, what have the Chiefs done to be ahead of the Ravens? If you're going off previous years, it makes sense, but in this year they shouldn't be that high. And as you may have noticed on the graphic, the Chiefs are at five, the Ravens are at six. The Ravens are up three points over last week. The Chiefs, I left where they were. They got leapfrogged by the Cowboys. They were at five, they stayed at five. Now, I think this one's very simple. The Ravens have not looked great on offense. They're moving in the right direction. They've beaten a couple of teams that, at least for now, are grossly inferior. The Texans, we saw what happened with them against the Colts. They're one of the worst teams in football. The Bengals, as of right now, have kind of lost their way. It's great for the Ravens that they managed to get two wins as this offense is a work in progress. 
I think if I was a Ravens fan, I'd just be happy to be number six. Just be happy to be number six. Did you really think you were going to be number six through two weeks, and now you want to be number five? You want to flip-flop with the Chiefs? Can't you just be happy you're number six, Shireen? Well, and I think they should be happy they're number six. The Chiefs' loss came when they didn't have Travis Kelsey and they didn't have Chris Jones. They have both of those guys back. I think we saw the difference that those two guys make for that team. So I, I think the Chiefs, as defending Super Bowl champions with a one and one record, are right where they should be, and the Ravens should probably be happy to be number six at this point. They'll get their chance to prove that they're better at the Chiefs this season. Next question comes from Reg Skinner. Why are the Giants higher than their division mate commanders? Hashtag make it make sense. And it's as simple as this. The Giants started high. The commanders started low. And they're kind of moving together. Now, the Giants bumped the spot. They did win for as bad as it looked early. They did come back and win the game. It doesn't matter how you get there. They got there. Down 28-7 in the third quarter. They won the game against the Cardinals. That erases some of the stink of the 40 to nothing loss. Now, if they had ended up losing to the Cardinals, the Giants probably have fought, would have fallen all the way down to the bottom of the stack, if not close to it. But they pulled off the victory. The Commanders, yes, they're 2-0. and They could easily be 0-2. They could have lost to the Cardinals, just like the Giants could have lost to the Cardinals. And they had to come back from a massive deficit, which they get credit for. They're up five spots. Five spots, five spots after beating the Broncos when they were way behind. So, again, I, I you tell me two weeks ago, Commanders are going to be number 15 after two games. If I'm a Commanders fan, I'm pretty happy with that, Shereen. Yeah, and I'm excited to see the Commanders, Mike. I haven't seen either of their first two games in full, and I'm looking forward to that. And Commanders fans finally are are excited about this season. I think they sold out their game. I think they're playing at home this week and they have sold out their – None of this stuff would have happened with Daniel Snyder that, that they're go- doing right now. They wouldn't have been excited by this team if Daniel Snyder still owned the team. A lot of excitement there, and I want to see the commanders, and I, I think they're going to have a good year based on the first two games and what we've seen from Sam Howe. I think this is a chance, a team that has a chance, at least in the NFC, to make the postseason. Our good friend, A Red Zona UK, who has been submitting questions to this program all the way back to the very early days, 2011 or thereabouts. Are there any coaches, quote, quietly happy, quote, water, <laughs> quietly happy to be in the bottom 10, <laughs> whispers Sean Payton? Uh, and, you know, I hadn't thought of it this way, but, but we talked about this earlier with Deshaun Watson. Year one, it's on the coach. Year two, It's on the quarterback. And we're already hearing it from Sean Payton, that Bill Parcells attitude, making it clear in his comments to the media what the issue is. The issue is the quarterback. The issue isn't the verbiage. The issue is he's got a quarterback that can't process the verbiage. He's got a quarterback who has resisted in the past wearing a wristband to simplify things. In all the years that Sean Payton and Drew Brees were joined at the hip, was there ever a concern about the verbiage? Was there ever a concern about getting plays in? That offense ran like it was intended to run. And if you can't run it the way Sean Payton wants it to be run, he's not adapting to you. You adapt to him or he finds someone who will, Shereen. So, so, to the extent that the Broncos may stink this year, and frankly, the schedule gets a lot more difficult than Raiders and Commanders, 
Maybe it is a good thing for Sean Payton. Maybe it makes it easier to go out and find the guy who can come in and supplant Russell Wilson because it could happen as soon as next year. They got a $35 million future guarantee that vests fully in March. If this continues, if he can't coax more out of Russell Wilson and start winning some games, he may be very happy to finish with a top 10 draft pick. Yeah, and, you know, he said at one point that he was, I don't know the exact words, but basically paraphrasing, he was going to be disappointed if this wasn't a playoff team. He knew what he was getting into pissed. when he went to the Broncos. He said he'll be yeah, pissed. Okay, that's what a piss. That's what it was. So, but he knew, he. I mean, he's realistic. He, he knew the roster that he had. Now he's had all these injuries, particularly at the receiver position. He knew what he had with the quarterback or didn't have with the quarterback, as the case may be. He knew what he was getting into, playing in the AFC, playing in the AFC West. He knew all those things. This is going to be a building process. This is not going to be as quick a turnaround as it was for him in New Orleans in the first year. I think he knew all that, saying the right things, but he knew all that. So, yeah, if they get a top 10 pick, he goes and gets his quarterback, and and he has the quarterback to build for the future. So, there is that for the Broncos that's out there. If they aren't very good this year, I tell you one guy though, Mike, who's not happy to be in the bottom ten. That's Bill Belichick. That's true because if he finishes in the bottom ten, it may not be him making that top ten draft pick next year. That's one of the things that just continues to be overlooked. The comments that Robert Kraft, the owner of the team, made back in March, things he said since then. I think Bill Belichick's on notice, and if they finish last in that division. Could be. And people will be stunned. Oh, I can't believe it. And they wouldn't fire him. It would be a mutual parting, retirement, whatever whatever term they'd want to use. It would be a Bruce Arian-style retirement where he retires and then go coaches somewhere else like they did to him in Pittsburgh 12 years ago. I'll say this, though, about Peyton. He's on record about tanking. He was on PFT Live in that window where he wasn't coaching. He would never deliberately try to lose. They won't tank. If it happens naturally, so be it. But he believes that from the cultural standpoint of the team, you can't allow that mindset to creep into your locker room. You have to be wired every week to be doing everything you can to win. And the players can sense when that's not what's happening. And you can't turn over your whole roster in one year. This isn't a Deion Sanders situation where he just walks in and says, You know what? And he basically said this in the 60 Minutes profile they did of him on Sunday night. One of the reasons they only won one game last year is the coaches, and another reason is the players. The coaches brought in these players. These players aren't good enough. We're going to run them off. You can't do that in the NFL. Some of those guys from a bad team are going to be there the next year. You can't bottom out, hit a reset button, and just bring in a new team. So once you let those guys be part of a culture of losing that doesn't prioritize winning over all things, it's hard to get it back. So my point is this. If it happens to Denver, it's going to happen over the very loud and persistent efforts of Sean Payton to win every game he possibly can, even if it comes down to the last game of the season and a loss would deliver the first overall pick in the draft. Let's go ahead and take a break. I mentioned Deion Sanders. When we return, could Deion Sanders... Make the jump to the NFL. I've been trying to speak into existence. Jerry Jones weighed in, and I got some thoughts about what I think is going to play out for Deion Sanders and his coaching career. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this.
Jerry Jones, Cowboys owner and GM, who previously employed Deion Sanders as a player, speaking on Sunday to a gaggle of reporters, one of which was Shereen Williams, who took down everything he said, typed it up, and we posted it at PFT, asked about Deion Sanders as a coach. Let me tell you something Jones said. He's a hell of a coach. He influences people, and of course, that's part of it in the NFL. I don't want to go there as to the possibility of him coming to the NFL because you know where that starts going every which way, i.e., will Dion coach the Cowboys? But Dion can influence and cause with his stature, his substance, what he is, as well as his own personality, being able to get inside and work with you on an individual basis. I'm a product of that with him. Look, Dion is an incredible coach. I want him to come to the NFL because he's compelling, he's entertaining. What do you root for? I root for a great story. There is no greater story in all of football right now at any level than what Deion Sanders is doing with a team that was 1-11 a year ago. He's made Colorado the epicenter of football, not just college, all football. You got the Broncos in the same state, the Buffaloes are the story in all of football. He could do it at the NFL level if he wanted to. He told Rich Eisen on Friday he would never go to the NFL. He doesn't believe he can motivate guys making 20, 30, or 40 million a year. Now, maybe if he's making 20, 30, or 40 million a year, it makes it easier. But he prefers the players who aren't being paid dramatic amounts of money. But I also think this, Shereen, it's a lot easier to stack the deck in your favor with great players at the college level. And what's his best asset? Look at what he's done. He's going to have his pick of all the great recruits. Wherever he is at the college level, they're all going to want to go be part of this magic. It's like an L.A. Lakers showtime from the early 80s. It's the place to be. Everyone's going to want to be there. You can't do that at the NFL level. You got the draft. You've got salary cap. It's the Nick Saban dynamic. Nick Saban prefers college to pro because you can go out and recruit a dozen first-round picks every year. If you're good at it, Saban has his way that he's good at it, and Dion is going to be great at it. Think as good as they are this year, they're going to be better next year because he's going to go out there and he's just going to reel in anybody he wants. First of all, whoever picked out that photo of Jerry Jones, I'm sure he thanks you because I don't know what year that was, but it's certainly not a recent photo of Jerry Jones. But one point, Mike, Uh-oh. in his... <laughs> hey! <laughs> That's from a long time ago, let me just say. But, you know, one thing about Jerry in that quote was, it'll go every which way, which, as you said, means... Is he going to coach the Dallas Cowboys? He's never going to coach the Dallas Cowboys, even if he goes to the NFL. You know why? At least as long as Jerry Jones owns the team, he would be big, bigger than Jerry Jones. And that is never going to happen with the Cowboys. Jerry Jones is the face of the Cowboys and will always be the face of the Cowboys as long as he owns the team and is there as the, the, the guy. So... Dion's not going to Dallas. I don't think he ever coaches in, in the NFL, and it's great points that you make. I wonder how long he's going to be at Colorado. There is more money at at other big-time programs, and they're going to throw money at him that maybe Colorado can't match. They have More schools have NIL money. 
And if he wins at Colorado, is there going to be that lure to go do it at the highest level, which is the SEC, to go be, go do what Kirby Smart did at Georgia to prove you're better than Nick Saban? He will have that opportunity if that's what he wants. I look at, at Florida. I mean, I know he played at Florida State. Wouldn't that be great if he went to Florida and began, began recruiting against Florida State and Miami at Florida with all the money that program has to win in the SEC, to compete against Georgia, players would flock to Florida to go play for him. Right now, Mike, that Colorado-Colorado State game did massive ratings, and it started at, what, 10 p.m. Eastern time? You get in the SEC, you're playing games in the middle of the afternoon that would double what he was able to do uh, in the middle of the night. Yeah, they almost had 10 million on average for that game. It started at 10 o'clock, went till 2:30 in the morning. Double overtime thriller. After the West Virginia Pitt game ended, which was anything but a barn burner, it was a couch burner though because West Virginia won. I turned over to ESPN two. It was after 11. <laughs> I saw that it was 14-14 with more than 14 minutes left in the second quarter, and I said, I can't start down this path. we got a full day of NFL action tomorrow. i got to get my eight hours. The one night per week that I get eight hours per sleep and the one window per year where I focus on getting that eight hours is a Saturday night before the full Sunday action because it's just nonstop, you know, posting and getting ready for football night in America and then everything else that we do. So... I wanted to watch it, and I didn't. But you're right. If that's a 3.30 game, 4 o'clock game, 7 o'clock game, you're talking much bigger ratings. If it is a marquee program, it's much bigger ratings. And if you watch the John Wertheim profile of Dion on 60 Minutes, and they just did a profile of him last year. They're willing to go back to the well. They rarely, and they acknowledge it, they rarely go back to the well one year later for the same person, but things have changed dramatically from Jackson State to Colorado. He will be able to talk his way through any and all criticism he would face for leaving Colorado quickly because he'll say exactly what he said about Jackson State. I came to do a job, the job is done, and God has taken me here. And you say it with conviction, and you say it with charisma, and it doesn't matter if it's not true. It doesn't matter if at the end of the day... He just simply says, my own personal ambition is bigger than Colorado, but I can't say that out loud, so I'll say something else instead. And they're all full of crap. All college football coaches are full of crap. This isn't some strange dynamic that Deion Sanders is introducing to the industry. They're all full of crap. I'm not going to be the Alabama coach for crying out loud. But Deion can pull it off. He's got that smile. He's got that ever-present twinkle in his eye. And Shireen, as much as I wanted to come to the NFL, he's going to be at one of those major schools. And he's going to do great there. And those numbers that we see from Colorado, Colorado State, in the middle of the night, you're absolutely right. They're going to be doubled. He's going to get ratings with college games that rival the top NFL games, which is all the more reason For one of these billionaires, one of these American oligarchs, to start thumbing out the bills, Dion, what's it going to take? There's no salary cap for coaches. What's it going to take? What is Dion worth? If Jared Goff is worth $33 million per year, all due respect, what is Dion Sanders worth to a football team? More than $33 million per year. So, so, 
and I and, and I, it's easy for me to spend somebody else's money, but if I'm looking at Dion going to Florida State or Florida or some other major program, elevating that program to the point where the numbers are actually starting to make us look bad, and I also know that his presence makes my team relevant and exciting and attractive and possibly great, I am making sure he never feels some sort of, and I don't know what it is. Like, why can't he motivate somebody making $40 million? Well, maybe one way to help him motivate a guy making $40 million is to pay him $41 million. Maybe that's his message. And I, I remember once upon a time, Shireen, you and I were both a lot younger. It was back before I was even in the business. I think you were just getting started when Dion had a song. And I think it was Must Be the Money. Was that the name of the song? I think it was. I don't yep. care what he says. I think at the end of the day, it's all about the money. And if somebody is willing to make him a massive offer to come coach an NFL team, I still think it's possible. That would be the one way, Mike, if, if they have an offer out there that some college is not willing to match. I don't want to say can't match because there are donors out there that would be able to match that but don't want to match. But you look at the exposure that he's given to Colorado. I saw it was almost $2 million for the first two weeks of exposure. The first two weeks, I think it's even more than that. I think that's, that's underselling what he has brought to Colorado and what a big change he's made. No one cared about Colorado. No one watched Colorado. We didn't even know Colorado had a football team, for goodness sake, unless our team played them. They, they didn't do anything. There was no reason to watch Colorado. They were on in the middle of the night playing games and getting blown out. Nobody cared about Colorado. Now Colorado is must-see TV. The pregame shows go there. Everybody wants to see Colorado. The best-kept secret maybe of, of a college with where it is in Boulder is now a not best-kept secret anymore because of Dion. Yeah, when I would hear Colorado, I used to think, oh, I remember when they were good in 1990. And weren't they in the game that had five downs? Wasn't it Colorado-Missouri yes, in the five-down yeah. game? That's it. That's all I remembered. Not anymore. Now it's all about Dion. And I really don't think it's an accident. When he tells Rich Eisen he's going to have a hard time motivating guys making 20, 30, 40 million a year, I think his message is that's what it's going to take to make me feel comfortable trying to motivate someone like that. I can't motivate somebody who's making four times what I make. I got to be making what they make in order to motivate them. And I still believe he can motivate those folks. I still believe he can motivate somebody making 40, 50, 60 million. He can motivate anybody. All right, we got to take a break. We'll take a look at some of the best catches from week two when PFT Live continues right after this. And we'll see if uh, Belichick will throw the challenge flag on that. Down in the socket. Yep, there it is. Traditional sock. We'll go throw it. We'll just he, drop it. He's getting worse from upstairs. more. He's hearing it from yes. upstairs. Could you see it? <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Shaq would have been proud of that dog. <laughs> Great moments in red flag history. Bill Belichick spiking it. I still remember Jeff Fisher trying to find it in his coat. The Patriots 0-2. Here are the teams that have started the season winless. There are nine of them. 
at least one 0-2 team has made postseason seven in the last 10 years. And, Shereen, we're still early in the 17-game experiment. Not that it's an experiment. It's here to stay. But I know how 0-2 felt with 16 games. I still don't quite know how it should feel with 17 games. One more opportunity to finish the process of digging out of the early season hole. So I don't think it's the emergency that it used to be. 0-3, yes. 0-2, you're still okay if you can get past it and just focus on the task at hand of getting that first win. Yeah, and I look at these teams, I'm like, I'm like eh, there's, not a, there's not many of these that really have a true shot at the postseason, but there are a few. All right, so let's take a look today via draft at the 0-2 teams in whom we have the most faith. I'll give you the first pick. Give me one of the winless teams. We know which 2-0 team you have the most faith in. We've already discussed that. Which 0-2 team do you have the most faith in? Well, I'm going to go with the Chargers. They do have must-wins in their next two against the Vikings and Raiders because then it's the Cowboys and the Chiefs. As we saw in the graphic, their two losses are by a – Combined point total of five. So they've been in both games. They're the 33rd team in the Super Bowl era with 50-plus points and no turnovers through two games to start 0-2. They're better than their own. I know Bill Parcells. I heard him say it many times. You are what your record says you are. This team's better than that. Brandon Staley's on the hot seat. I think they get it turned around. Whether they make the postseason or not, I don't know. But I do think this is a team that's going to contend for a postseason berth. Now, my confidence or lack thereof in an 0-2 team has to be influenced by where they are. Like the Patriots, like it's Bill Belichick, but they're in a tough division with a really tough schedule. So that was the first team that jumped out at me. I'm, I don't have confidence in a lot of them. I'll say of these remaining teams, the Bengals, once they get Joe Burrow's calf right, and they may not get his calf right all year, but for me, that's the key. I'm not worried at all that they're 0-2. I'm worried about his health. 0-2 doesn't phase me. It didn't phase them last year. They almost made it to the Super Bowl starting 0-2. So I'll go Bengals with that asterisk. If that calf's a problem all year long, that's a far bigger concern to me than the fact that they haven't won a game yet. Yeah, they were going to be my second pick, Mike, for all the reasons that you stated, and there was just a report that came out by NFL media, Mike Garofolo, that there are indications that Joe Burrow's calf is feeling better. He is scheduled to talk to the media on Thursday. So maybe it's starting to heal and get back to what it was. Burrow is 0 for 12 on plus 15-yard passes this season. He's just what we were talking about with George. He's got to get that ball to Jamar Chase and give him some chances down the field. So for my second pick, since you took the Bengals, I'm going to take the Broncos simply because of the reasons that we talked about. Sean Payton, Sean Payton, they've lost two close games. They haven't been able to close out games. They've lost their ninth consecutive game when they've led at halftime. That's an NFL record. So they've got to figure out how to play better in the second half. I think Sean Payton will figure that out. Whether they make the playoffs or not, I think he's going to establish something here with this team. I'm reluctant to do this. Now, I will say this about the Broncos. Look at their schedule before you develop too much faith in them because they should have won these first two games. It gets a lot harder as the season unfolds. I'm going to say the Vikings, even though I don't have much faith in them, I don't have much faith in any of these teams. 
We know the Vikings have a very potent offense. Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson have gotten off to a great start, even though they're 2-0. The defense is better, even though they're 0-2, excuse me. But they got to get a win. I think one of the most important games this weekend is Chargers-Vikings. Because 0-3, much more difficult to turn that around, especially because the Vikings have the Chiefs up next. No, is it the Chiefs week four? No, it's the Panthers. Panthers. They got the Chiefs looming. But you got to you need to get that that zero off of the front end of your one loss record. We got one more pick each. We'll do that when we wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFT Live right after this. All right, one more pick each. 0-2 teams in which we have the most faith. Shireen, who do you have? Well, it doesn't say faith in to win this year or faith in to make the playoffs, so I'm going to have faith uh-huh. in for the future. And I'm going to go with the Houston Texans. They have their quarterback. Guess what? Right now, today, after two games, their quarterback, C.J. Stroud, the number two overall pick, is better than Deshaun Watson, the guy they shipped out. He's fourth in the NFL with 626 yards. He's completed almost 64% of his passes. Two touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's been really good, Mike. They have their quarterback. Sims and I talked about this recently. It's possible the Carolina Panthers just picked the wrong guy in Bryce Young and should have taken Stroud or Anthony Richardson. I'll go with the Patriots just because there's no one else, and it's Bill Belichick, and maybe they'll get better (laughs) and steal a win or two and find a way in, but it's not going to be easy, not in that division and not with that schedule. That is it for today. Shireen, great job. Everybody else, thanks for some of your time. We'll see you tomorrow. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.